It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Welcome to the 2021 edition of the IDP Corner, sponsored by FantasyPoints.com. I'm one of the analysts at uh, IDP analysts over at FantasyPoints.com, and with me is the other IDP analyst and projection specialist, Mr. Thomas Simons. How are you doing tonight, Thomas? Heidi ho, neighbor. I'm doing all right. I'm uh, looking forward to the upcoming season, which is upon us. Yeah, we got a lot of, of uh, new things that we're going to kind of roll out this year. Um, we're going to be doing a lot of preseason stuff, kind of help everyone get set up for their drafts, uh, which we're going to go over in just a minute. But uh, I kind of want to just get started with some some late breaking news here. Um, there hasn't been a whole lot of training camp stuff that has has really jumped off the page, but this is one of them, which was that cornerback um, Jeff Gladney of the Minnesota Vikings, or, or formerly of the Minnesota Vikings, uh, was re- released today. Uh, he had already been. Um, uh, in trouble a little bit for some domestic violence situation, and he was officially indicted today, and so the Vikings cut him loose. So that um, uh, obviously, besides you know, if we push the legal stuff aside, what that means for the Vikings is that's you know one fewer uh, uh, cornerback to kind of figure out over there across from Patrick Peterson, who should be the other likely start- starter. But glad he was a high draft pick. Uh, this is a, a big blow. I'm pretty sure to Mike Zimmer's uh, future plans for this defense yeah i mean also if if you get released like that that doesn't bode well for you avoiding charge the charges so um there's also news regarding you know some of the return of the covid19 um, players who opted out last year who should be back this year players like michael pierce star lotulele uh eddie goldman just to name a, a handful of defensive tackles, Dante Hightower is another one that, you know, the, these players should be returning. Um, I haven't heard anything yet uh, on any of them opting out permanently for this year. Um, so they're, they're re- at this point in time, I'm sure there's a lot of hamstring injuries and ankle injuries and, and minor things that players are just getting over or, or running into with the start of training camps. So, there's nothing major so far, but uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that as we move along. Yeah, luckily it's been – obviously training camp is just getting started. They just put the pads on, so things are going to be moving uh, a little bit slowly. Um, but, you know, uh, one of the one of the things I want to piggyback on there, Thomas, is just a reminder that a number of defensive tackles – uh, more than I think any other um, any other position uh, opted out last year uh, in terms of uh, you know just for COVID concerns I imagine playing right there in the middle of the defensive line uh, would worry a, lo- a lot of people so there are a lot of defensive tackles who were off everyone's fantasy radar this year that we have to make sure that we uh, plug back into um, uh, speaking of training camp and preseason games the preseason games are going to get started here pretty soon um, so what we're going to be doing up until uh, week one of the regular season is we're going to be starting to break down exactly some of these uh, b- uh, these training camp battles, position battles, defensive scheme rotations that we're seeing. We have some new defensive coordinators. We're going to try and put all that together uh, and really get into how that might shift uh, projections and, and, and rankings and stuff. Most of that will get started next week. They're obviously just now putting on the pads, so we don't want to put 
too much weight into anything like an unofficial depth chart or any of that nonsense. So what we're going to do today mainly is is go over, this is um, becoming a little tradition for us, a little game called uh, Overrated Underrated. We're going to pick some players that we think might be overrated or underrated. Uh, the other thing I want to add is that I, I'm uh, going to drop a new article in the next couple of days. It's going to be called The Defensive Flyover, for those of you who are on FantasyPoints.com. And it's going to give you a very quick rundown. I was just talking about defensive schemes. It's going to give you a very quick rundown of which defenses usually play two linebackers, like usually meaning 60 to 100% of the time. Some defenses only play one linebacker. Some defenses typically play two high versus single high. Some defenses rotate a lot of defensive linemen, while others play a lot of the same linemen over over and over again. That matters a lot when it comes to draft time and to understand why one player might be ranked higher than another. And also if there's any sort of shift uh, personnel-wise on that team, if you have a good sense of how many linebackers they're going to try it out to begin with, you'll know whether this other linebacker who's taking over for somebody who actually might get significant snaps or if they're still just going to be a bit or a role player as we go. So that'll be coming in the next couple of days. The next couple of days will also feature some actual football. Indeed. I mean, there's the Hall of Fame game on Thursday night, which is about 40 hour, 48 hours away from when we're doing this podcast. So uh, that'll be Dallas versus Pittsburgh. And yeah, I know, I know it's the Hall of Fame game, and chances are you're going to see a lot of players and you go, who? But it is football, and it is the start. And the fact is we're one game less in the preseason. I'm still believing that week three of the preseason is going to be the, the normal week three of any uh, preseason year prior to this. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see how it all plays out as teams will probably fire out their, their starters for at least a half a football in that preseason week number three. And, and, and we also have one extra game this year, 17 weeks of football. And there are no additional changes to bye weeks, but you're going to be playing one more game which could be, you know, could be a, a very difficult thing for players who are injury prone or, you know, the, there's always the possibility of another injury. And this is also important for everybody to realize that week 14, there are bye weeks. So a lot of leagues that I've been in have been extending their season, their regular season by one week and beginning their playoffs in week 15 to avoid a playoff bye week. So uh, I, I guess we'll just go ahead and move right into things here and start off with uh, your thoughts on Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, we're going to hit Defensive Player of the Year and Defensive Rookie of the Year, just our, our predictions, our guesses, see how, how close we can get here. Uh, I'm going to fire off um, uh, a kind of a dark horse candidate for this, and that's actually going to be edge rusher Bradley Chubb. In, in reviewing the Denver Broncos defense, I think it's a, an extremely underrated defense. They've, they've gotten some really important pieces back, uh, to their unit. Um, and obviously they've got Vic Fangio there, who's, um, uh, you know, a defensive, uh, wizard when it comes to, um, defensive coordination. If that Broncos defense does actually snap back and, um, surprise a lot of people, a lot of that I think will hinge on Bradley Chubb. Chubb will have Vaughn Miller, hopefully a healthy Vaughn Miller on the other side of him again this year. As Chubb developed last year, he didn't have the advantage of having so much attention paid to the other side of him. I think this could be a good year for him to, to make all of that click where he'll have 
Um, more attention paid to Von Miller than to him. He really kind of started to, to come together last year and with Fangio as as the DC there and to really put together um, a pretty complicated defense that uh, also they have better cornerbacks and just a better secondary in general, which will give guys like Miller and Chubb a little bit more time to get to the cornerback. So if Chubb has one of those breakout seasons that that we know that edge rushers can have, um, you know, the, the, the past seasons are littered with them, and that coincides with uh, the Broncos' defense taking a, a, a formidable step forward. I think Chubb would be in good position for that. Uh, who's your defensive player of the year prediction, Thomas? Well, I'm going to go with something that's kind of obvious uh, and may not be the reason why everybody thinks. But Darius Leonard is going to be my defensive player of the year. And I, and I truly believe that his numbers, while they were still standout numbers over the in 2020, a lot of people felt that he had a somewhat of a down year but you have to realize that this year is a contract year for Darius Leonard he's on the fourth year of a a contract he saw a four-year deal he signed in 2018 so he's playing for a contract and up front which I believe you might be mentioning in defensive rookie of the year um, the defensive line has been somewhat improved and you got DeForest Buckner up there as well as uh, somebody that I believe you're targeting as a defensive rookie of the year? Yeah, my defensive rookie of the year uh, is going to be Quiddy Pay. I think he's just in such a great uh, spot. He fell in the draft because of concerns about uh, about about a heart issue. Uh, the Colts think they did um, a really good job of, of of screening that and making sure that everything was going to be okay and that it was just a scare. It wasn't anything major. Uh, that does look like that. Um, is the case. So pay kind of fell to them. Uh, and man, he really slots in. First of all, he's got a wide open role. Justin Houston is now on Baltimore and they desperately need uh, that other pass rusher. He's going to be playing next to DeForest Buckner, who's a, you know, in my opinion, the second, if not, you know, and other people would be top three defensive tackle in DeForest Buckner. Uh, Grover Stewart has, has been a, a really strong nose there as well. So I think he's got all the snaps he can he can handle. He'll be able to to chew up. Everybody's going to be paying attention to DeForest Buckner. If uh, guys like Xavier Rhodes uh, can really, you know, he, Rhodes had a bounce back season as a corner last year. If he does that again, and guys like Darius Leonard do well over the middle, that'll again give pay maybe a little bit more time. And again, it's super early in camp. I think they had four or five practices, but, but all I'm reading about pay is how quick he is um, and, and how impressive he's been and what a steal that has been for them. So first round, nobody in his way to block for snaps, great uh, D line across from him that are going to, it's going to help him uh, uh, stay a little bit more one-on-one and less double teamed. Um, So I I definitely think he's got a pretty good shot at that. Uh, Who's your uh, guest for rookie of the year, Thomas? Well, I've, I took a long look at a couple of players and one of them was JC Horn on Carolina being that his uh, he he has NFL blood in in his family with his dad Joe um, Horn has being that he dropped so far in the draft that he's been going to play with a chip on his shoulder and I guess he's been doing really well early in camp now granted as you mentioned it's early in camp but the man that I'm going I'm going to target is Micah Parsons on Dallas now. I'll go into this further when we get into overrated, underrated. But Parsons was drafted with the the notion of 
him likely taking over as a middle linebacker down the road. Now, to start the season, he may start off at the outside linebacker spot. He could be the strong side, but I'm, I'm more apt to think that they're going to work him into the weak side linebacker position just to get him on the field and get him acclimated to the, the Dallas uh, defensive scheme. And he's had a really good start to training camp. They, The quote that I read um, – and I believe it was Peter King who mentioned it. Um, he says that Parsons is quote unquote wrecking practice. <laughs> so this guy is playing like it's actually October, November kind of thing in the first few days of training camp. And Leighton Vanderesh has been also doing really well in training camp, even though the right it seems like the writing is on the wall for him, especially with the fact that they they took. Um, couple of draft picks and spent them on linebackers, including Parsons. But I think Parsons is is going to be a standout um, as long as he doesn't run into the Patrick Queen problems that he had in his rookie year with Baltimore, where he makes um, mental mistakes in the rookie season and he ends up getting either benched or sees uh, fewer snaps because of the, the problems that he has. But the way he's playing in camp right now, it, that doesn't look like this is going to be a problem. So I'm I'm liking Parsons down the road. Yeah, I think he, you know, particularly with with everything going on there with uh, the rotation of linebackers, uh, it, it's not going to take much uh, for for him to get on the field and do some serious damage. Uh, I've also, you know, just thinking about the whole Alden Smith role last year. Uh, you know, Parsons throws together. Um, a good number of sacks when, when they decide to take him off the edge. Uh, he, he could certainly be, um, and really all, all it's going to take, I, I think is, you know, if he has success there, both, you know, both off the edge and as a blitzer, and if he can, you know, grab a handful of, of interceptions, maybe even a pick six, he's going to be right in the mix there, I think. Uh, so let's move on to one of my favorite games. We play uh, the overrated, underrated game. Um, we're going to start with the defensive lineman. Thomas and I uh, do not confer on this. We pick uh, three players apiece from the defensive line, from the linebackers, and from the defensive backs who we think are both overrated and underrated. Uh, mostly what we're talking about here is ADP, but also some hype um, and just you know, uh, checking out rankings and our own kind of thoughts on it. So to get us started for the defensive lineman, why don't you get us uh, um, cranked up there, Thomas? Well, you know, it's funny how you said that we don't really discuss it between each other, which we don't. And it's amazing that neither one of us picked the same guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start off with somebody that I targeted last year. I know it's a broken record um, with me choosing J.J. Watt. And, and injury concerns, not meeting his potential, uh, his stats have been down since 2015. All of these things were brought up last year. The problem I have is that he's 32 years old and is entering his 11th season, and his body has taken a beating. Now, J.J. has just nine total sacks since 2018 after du double-digit sacks in five of the previous seven years. So, I mean, he did have 32 solos and 16 assists last year, which was um, his second-highest solo and, and highest assist um, total since 2016. But now he's in Arizona, and he has a new system he has to learn. Granted, it's a 3-4, and it's going to probably be similar to what he had in Texas or Houston. But... He also has to contend with what I'm calling the Chandler Jones factor. Now, Jones is unhappy, as mentioned, he wanted to be traded or a new contract. Um, 
if Jones remains with the team, which it seems likely is going to happen, uh, Jones, if he stays healthy, could cut into Watt's possible production or potential production. So if you're expecting J.J. to be, you know, 15 sacks and, and posting 48 to 50, 52 total tackles, I think you need to temper your expectations on that because I don't think he's going to reach those numbers. My uh, first uh, overrated one is going to be Nick Bosa. And just for those of you who haven't heard us do overrated, underrated before, most of our overrateds are going to be top five guys. That's just that's just how this works. doesn't mean we think they suck. Uh, it just, you know, we're looking for guys who, who people might be taking uh, fairly high in, in drafts. So um, Nick Bosa is the one for me. I I believe that he's going to easily be a top a top ten edge, a top ten defensive lineman. But with you know, as recovering from that ACL, um, he's going to be. You know, we've seen we've seen it in the past where where players like this, particularly young players that haven't suffered a ton of injuries, doesn't doesn't have enough injury history to bounce back and say, you know, they've been playing for six or eight years and they've they've recovered from a couple of injuries, and so they learn they they understand that they can trust their body when it's a when it's a major injury, particularly early on. Sometimes we see these players who don't quite fully trust their knee yet, don't quite you know, there's a little twinge in the back of their head. We've seen it a whole bunch. I think that what might happen with Bosa. He's obviously being babied a little bit in camp so that he can hopefully be ready by week one. There's a chance he might not be fully ready by week one. There's a chance that for the first three or four games, they might have him on a pitch count so that he's not playing a ton of snaps. And then I think by the middle of the season and definitely by the late season, we're going to see the Nick Bosa that that we expected to see out there, uh, you know, mauling left tackles. But up till that point, you know, if he has a slow start to the season, which I believe he's going to, he's not a top three DL. He's probably going to be a top, you know, six or a top eight DL. So if you've got that first shot and you're really looking at Nick or his brother Joey or Miles Garrett or some of those other guys, every time I'm leaning away from Nick, unless all those other guys in my top three or five are gone. Yeah, and, and and as you mentioned, when you have an ACL injury, sometimes it takes a year, year and a half to actually get back to playing one hundred percent full bore. And 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 like you said, it's more of a mental thing than it is anything else. Um, I know I tore my knees up when I was in high school football, and when I came back and played in college, I had that in the back of my mind, and it it really affected the way I I did things even though I tried very, very hard not to let that happen. Now, my guy and my second um, overrated is Daniil Hunter from Minnesota. Now, the two-time Pro Bowler missed all of 2020 due to a neck injury. Now, the injury was considered minor in the early part of 2020, but then all of a sudden in October he, he required surgery, and it turned out to be a herniated disc. So... Um, he did not partake this spring in workouts, but he did practice with the first team um, at the beginning of training camp. So he is back. He is playing. He's taken reps at both the left and right defensive end spot. So he's most likely going to play both positions in 2021. Sometimes that can be detrimental because you may perform better in, in the left side uh, than he does in the right uh, and it all depends on on how the the guys around him are playing and whether or not he sees more double teams and triple teams. I think they're going to move him around just to avoid that. But still, other than his rookie season, 
uh, Hunter has not missed a game until 2020. So this is brand new for him, and we don't know how he's going to react to this. Now, um, last three years as a starter, he's averaged three solos and assists and nearly a sack per game. But the problem I have with all of this is is the whole herniated disc issue and the fact that this was a, such a, a an injury that – started as a minor thing and then all of a sudden became a herniated disc with surgery and they talked about it could you know it could actually affect his career so he he his career was kind of in jeopardy in, in November December people didn't really know so we have to wait and see how he does in training camp so this one could bounce either way for me but right now I, I would be very leery of going after Daniil Hunter um, with like you said with the, the Joey Bosa and the Miles Garrett and these other players that are that are out there uh, I might be apt to let Hunter slide down to number 10 along uh, among defensive ends for the time being yeah and, and keep in mind that Miles Garrett and Joey Bosa both had uh, some bad luck and uh, some nagging injuries for for um, for Garrett. It was COVID. He got he got hit with COVID, and uh, you know COVID affects people differently. He just got knocked on his butt. He missed a couple of games, and then when he came back, he was not the same player. And he said anyway, he was running out of gas. It, it obviously you know could really get to your lungs. So um, Garrett, in my opinion, is you know is is the number one DE. So if you've got a chance to get him or Hunter, um, you know, you can't look at, I think last year was a down year for, for Garrett. I think he's going to have a better year this year. And the same thing with Bosa. Bosa had a couple of nagging leg injuries that slowed him down. He still had a really good year, but there's a good chance that Joey Bosa and Miles Garrett are going to be one and two. And other people might be taking Nick Bosa or Daniil Hunter one and two. So these are ones where if you're in, to get these types of players, you're going to have to, and this is an important part, to get that kind of player, you're going to have to go up in your drafts. You're not going to be able to wait for an elite defensive lineman. You're going to have to probably go a round or two earlier than you might think. So if you're going to make that jump, uh, I would prefer it be with somebody that, that didn't have as many question marks. That and said, if Hunter or Nick Bosa fall to me, uh, I'm certainly taking them. I'm not scared to take them. I just don't think of them quite as highly as maybe some others or have as much confidence. Yeah, and you point something out very, very well here in the fact that it's not that we don't like Hunter or don't want Hunter. It's just that you have to take him really, really high in your drafts and or auctions in order to get him. And I, I think that the the um, downside or the negativity of, of what could happen with him outweighs of, of the the fact that you got to go and get him uh, higher than you normally would. There are more, there are better options out there for you to target, um, like you said, with Garrett and a few other uh, players um, before you go after a hunter. And you want to make sure that you get him at around the, the position that you you want him at. And if you don't, somebody else is going to pay the price, especially if he if he has a down year. You have uh, another uh, overrated for us? Yeah, uh, uh, the third one that I'll go with is Frank Clark. Now, Clark is a edge rush specialist. He is a an incredible force off the edge. The problem we have with him is that he faces a, th- a three-year prison sentence for felony possession of an assault weapon um, on charges that happened in March. Uh, he also had gun-related charges brought against him in June. So there are two separate issues that he's dealing with. Now, 
obviously, if he doesn't do prison time, he will be facing NFL disciplinary action, likely a suspension. Now, the, his court case is slated for October, but he likely gets pushed back. And uh, personally, uh, chances are that he won't go before a judge until 2022. But he still faces NFL disciplinary action, depending on what happens between now and then. And this is why I'm, I'm really, really scared of going after Frank Clark really high and really early in a draft because of the fact that I don't know what's going to happen with him once you know the court case comes up in October and it'll get pushed. But how far does it get pushed? Does it get pushed in November? Does it get pushed to December? I mean, we all know that with the COVID-19, a lot of the courts are backlogged and a lot of these things take time. I, I personally don't think he's going to go before a judge before the uh, end of the season. But that doesn't mean that something doesn't come out and the NFL says, all right, we have enough information to suspend you. Yeah, it, we've seen this time and time again. Uh, and most of what we're talking about here are, are um, elite defensive linemen who have some question marks that, that we think might be a little bit bigger um, than it might seem, things that we don't want to ignore. Um, my last uh, defensive lineman for overrated is Jason Pierre-Paul. I'm a huge Jason Pierre-Paul. He's a guy I push almost every single year. I pushed him last year. Um, but things are a little bit different. Now, first of all, he had a great season last year. Um, he had eight and a half sacks, 55 tackles. This is around his career average. This is about what he does. He hovers around double-digit sacks and also puts up really solid uh, tackle numbers. So it has nothing to do with his performance last year. And his performance last year wasn't necessarily an outlier of something that we don't think he can do again. Um, the issues for me are he's uh, he's closer to 33 than he is 32. So he's certainly, <laughs> particularly for a pass rusher, he's getting up there with age. And there is a tried and true formula for coaches when it comes to their older pass rushers. And that is get them off the field until you absolutely need them. We've seen this time and time again um, as, as these really talented uh, edge rushers who still have the skills, they still have the pass rush moves, they have all the experience, but would you, what you don't want to do is waste those bullets um, you know, on games that are blowouts or in, in obvious run situations, etc. They've drafted Joe Tryon uh, as in – in the first round and Tryon is there to basically, you know, supplant Jason Pierre Paul within the next year or two. Right. So what's likely going to happen is as Tryon gets more and more comfortable, they'll probably take some uh, snaps off for JPP, give him a little rest. He'll still play a ton. He'll still put up his sacks, but the chances of him repeating last year, being a little bit older. Um, and most importantly, because of Tryon's presence, I just, I just don't see him playing the number number of snaps that he played last year already you know he played more snaps last year than you might think a 32 year old pass rusher would play he played 89% of the snaps for Tampa last year 943 snaps that is a ton uh even in some of his uh you know uh younger years he 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 didn't hit that number so it's unlikely he's going to get He's going to push a thousand snaps this year. He might be more in the seven hundred. So love him as a DL two. Can't afford to take him as a DL one, just because I think they're going to get trying on the field as, as soon as they can. Uh, with the long term, with trying to win another Super Bowl in mind, they're going to want to try to keep JPP as fresh as they can. Um, uh, if you don't have anything else to add to that, let's move on to our linebackers. Uh, overrated linebackers. Who you got up first there, Thomas? Well, I mentioned Dallas Cowboys. 
and I have to say Jalen Smith is on my radar in this this regard. Look, the writing is on the wall following the the Cowboys' 2021 draft and all the trade rumors you had in the offseason. Now, Smith has not missed a game in four seasons, and his total tackles, uh, his tackle totals have been really solid. But the problem is Micah Parson is going to push him for the weak side linebacker spot. Now, Smith was playing middle linebacker for a while, then they moved him to weak side linebacker. And a lot of this has to do with the fact that while his numbers look good, he was wasting a lot of his steps getting to uh, the plays. And this led to um, the defense having a poor showing in 2020. Dallas ranked 28th in scoring allowed. Uh, they, had, they gave up 29.6 points a game. They were 23rd in total yards allowed per game, which was 386.4. And they allowed 158.8 yards rushing per game. Only Houston was worse at just a little over 160. Now, you compare this to what Tampa Bay had, and Tampa Bay was the lowest, and they only allowed 80.6 yards a game, twice as much as what Tampa was. And a lot of this is because of players like uh, Leighton Vander Esch and Jalen Smith were not taking good steps toward the ball and, and, you know, running backs were running free and they were getting around him. And that's another reason why Dallas went after these linebackers in the draft is because they are not confident in Smith and or Vanderish. Now Vanderish is having a good camp. So Smith could be the one that could, could be hurt the most by the presence of Parsons, especially when they go into their sub packages and they only go to linebackers. Smith could be the one that comes off the field. And when you consider that um, Keanu Neal is there and seeing lots of reps as linebacker, they, they still, they're still calling him basically a, a, a box safety, um, but he's, he's with the linebacking group. And as we know in this Dan Quinn style uh, defense, Keanu Neal, that, that kind of box safety you know, is, is tackle competition. So he'll also be chewing into um, Smith's tackle opportunity, possibly playing time, but certainly tackle opportunity. There's going to be more of that this year for um, uh, for for Jalen Smith to contend with. My number one overrated is Devin White. Uh, I'm not I'm not trying to pick on the Bucks. I realize here back to back I've got uh, overrated um, uh, Tampa Bay Bucks. But some of this comes from you know to win a Super Bowl, you've you've got to get. You know, a certain there's got to be a certain amount of luck. Just everything has to click, and we saw that not only with Jason Pierre-Paul, but more so with Devin White. I, I'm I believe strongly that Devin White is is a is a very good linebacker. Uh, I think last year's production is is n- not going to be the norm. He Devin White had nine sacks as an inside linebacker. Um, of those nine sacks, he had. Um, 15 tackles for loss and 16 QB hits. That's not the normal ratio we see. So he got lucky with his um, with his blitzing opportunities. And granted, you know we've got Indomitian Sue and and uh, you know Jason Pierre-Paul and all these other guys, um, you know, basically soaking up the entire defensive line. If you can get a crack there and run a uh, um, a linebacker up there, uh, you're going to get some good results. But I, there's no way they don't see that offenses don't see this coming this year. I don't think there's any chance 
that Devin White's going to repeat those nine sacks. And it's really those nine sacks and those 15 tackles for loss. Those sorts of things really push Devin White kind of head and shoulders above the other linebackers in scoring. Now, he did have 140 tackles, and obviously that's a, that's a really strong number. That's definitely LB1 number. But there's some other players who – weren't quite as lucky in terms of the big plays that had equally strong seasons, you know, like Roquan Smith and some players like that, that I'm going to probably take before I take Devin White. I think Devin White is going to be too expensive this year. I want one of my league mates to jump around or too early for Devin White while I wait for someone like uh, Roquan Smith or, or even, even, you know, uh, I was. I'm, I've been amazed at how late Bobby Wagner's going in drafts these days. Um, so mine is going to be Devin White. Love him as a player. I just. I just cannot see him. Everything again has to go perfectly right for him to have that kind of you know, over the top LB one season. And those odds are hard to repeat. My second linebacker is going to be Alex Singleton from Philadelphia. It's not a good sign when you start training camp on the reserve COVID list. So especially when you consider the fact that they have a new defensive coordinator in Jonathan Gannon, and he's going to be bringing in his, his new system. And it, you're going to be missing time uh, working in the system and taking reps in practice because you're on the COVID list. Now, we don't know if, if, if it's a uh, being he was put on the list, whether because of, of the fact that he actually has COVID-19 or Delta variant or whatever the case may be, and or if he was just exposed to it. The, the problem is he's missing time. And then you add into that the fact that they went out and got Eric Wilson and Jannard Avery, um, uh, and they drafted two linebackers. It makes for a very crowded linebacking core. Now, granted, Smith, Singleton posted 114 total tackles in 2020, but he may not play the same role in this new system. So I could see his numbers taking a dip, his snap count being down a little bit. The longer he's out, the harder it is for him to claim a starting position. One of my uh, other overrated players is going to be um, the linebacker out of Denver, which is Josie Jewell. Josie, I think, played a lot more last year than the team wanted him to play. Uh, he was exposed multiple times. Uh, he had a, a breakout season statistic-wise. He had 113 tackles uh, and started all 16 games. But the reality is that I don't think they want him on the field that much. And you can, you know, first of all, they drafted Justin Stranad to essentially uh, supplant Jewel, but Stranad uh, had a, had a preseason injury and, and didn't play last year, so uh, he's going to be back in the. He's already back in the mix. They also drafted Baron Browning, so they've got two players who. Um, are going to be gunning for that job next to Alexander Johnson in Denver. Uh, I don't think Josie Jewell is going to completely disappear and go to the bench. What I, what most likely will happen is that Jewell will play on obvious run uh, running downs, and then a combination of uh, Browning or Stranad, or possibly some of some of their their you know they're they're pretty loaded in the secondary. They got Kyle Fuller, Ronald Darby, Bryce Callahan, obviously Kareem Jackson, and um, Justin. Simmons. Uh, they obviously have Patrick Sertain as well, Duke Dawson. So I, I could see either Browning, who was their third round pick, uh, um, get some snaps there and kind of play. Also, 
Joel Joel played a lot of of on ball. He he would get he would get up on the edge, and that's something where that where Browning can really take that rollover. Uh, I I see Ronald Darby t- taking more big dime snaps for the team as a third safety, where a player like Jewel would would come up. I just don't like seeing him hitting the triple digit tackles and anyone expecting that um, to happen again this year. I don't see him playing enough snaps uh, to really pull that off, particularly with the crowded secondary and the fact that they, they've got players behind Jewel that they're hoping will blossom this year and take some snaps away. My last uh, linebacker for overrated is going to be Devondre Campbell. Now, Campbell remains in a 3-4 system with his move from Arizona to Green Bay. Um, he posted 88 or more total tackles in four straight seasons. And uh, Campbell only has fantasy value, though, in Green Bay is if he plays that left inside linebacker spot, Which, but there's no guarantee he starts there. Now, that position has been a goldmine for any inside uh, left inside linebacker the Packers have had. And it goes back to Blake Martinez and Christian Kirksey and so on and so forth. The problem that he has is that he has to beat out Kamal Martin, Chris um, Barnes, Ty Summers, and or Oren Burks. So he's got a lot of competition going on, and he may not be able to beat these guys out. And if he doesn't, he ends up as an outside linebacker, and he shares snaps with uh, one of the Smith guys. So either Zadarius or Preston. Now, big plays are especially not part of his fantasy arsenal. So, if you, for example, he's never had more than two sacks in a season. So playing outside linebacker is kind of a downside for Campbell. I, I don't see him being the edge rusher. So this whole situation in Green Bay could go either way. It's all going to be whether or not he can earn that left inside line, linebacker position. If he does, then his stock will rise a little bit. But if it doesn't, you're, you're going to pay or go after him too high and with the notion of that he's going to start at left inside linebacker. And if he doesn't win that job, you're in deep, deep doo. <laughs> yeah, and uh, from from what I'm hearing out of training camp so far, Barnes ha- has the lead in terms of being the three-down linebacker. And the Packers, uh, again, another uh, fairly busy secondary. The Packers have been rolling out a lot of um, packages that only have one linebacker. So Campbell's snaps are, uh, are in danger, that's for sure. I-, I totally agree with that. Speaking of somebody whose snaps might be in danger, this one, is, this one comes with a caveat. This one comes... Uh, this was uh, Joe Schobert out, out of Jacksonville. Uh, there, th- we've seen a little, just, just a hint of this. So if this takes hold over the next couple of weeks, and we will we'll mention this on the podcast and, and try to follow this up. So this is kind of a conditional one. But uh, Urban Meyer has, has taken a liking to Damian Wilson. They brought him over from Kansas City. Kansas City ran um, a very complicated defense, and Damian Wilson was one of the, the pieces in the middle, one of the cogs uh, that, that – featured multiple looks from linebackers and, and defensive backs all kind of um, put together. They've talked a lot about Jacksonville's defense being a very different beast than it was last year or the year before. Um, so there could be a lot uh, of different looks there. Wilson has been rotating with not only Joe Schober, but also Miles Jack, but mainly he's come out uh, sometimes at, in as a first team linebacker over Schobert uh, and has created what what a lot of beat writers think might be a competition there. So there's still a good chance that Schobert's going to come out on top, but it's just enough to give me pause that if I have to draft in the next week or two, I might 
pause on hitting that Joe Schobert uh, button if there are some other solid linebackers whose roles are, are much more clearly defined. Again, I think Schobert's going to come out on top, but if I had to draft tomorrow, I'd be a little bit worried about uh, so far how they're deploying Wilson. Uh, and also remember that every any time a, a, a defense changes, defensive coordinators clearly changes schemes, a lot of things can can be out, um, can be up in the air, and uh, particularly if we're going to try and grab one of the very few solid LB ones out there. If there's any doubt that Schobert might not hold hold that role, uh, we want to know that sooner rather than later. Um, should we move on to defensive backs, there, Thomas? Yes, indeed. And I'm going to again, like with defensive linemen, I'm going to target some top end. Uh, DBs. And the first one I'm going to go after is Patrick Peterson. There's a reason why the Cardinals let Peterson leave via free agency. Last two seasons, um, Peterson has has allowed 12 yards per completion. He's allowed four TDs uh, and a completion rate over 65%. Now, are these shutdown cornerback numbers? Absolutely not. Now, Mike Zimmer's defensive scheme plays to Peterson's strengths, yet he's not the same stud he was with Arizona. And at 31 years old, he's entering his 11th season. I wouldn't say he's lost a step, but he's definitely lost a stud step. He's not the stud he once was. My number one guy is uh, Jeremy Chin. And he's going to, he's another guy who, uh, you know, I, I still think he's going to have a phenomenal season, but similar to Devin White in that he had just so many things go right for him. He you know, had a, I think he had a couple of uh, a fumble recovery for touchdowns, almost in like back to back games, if I remember correctly. He, he just had, a, you know, a, an, an, an amazing like dream season. Not only are those, uh, are those statistically really difficult to repeat, it's actually less that and more that they've made it very clear that Chin is going to be playing less linebacker and certainly less uh, off the edge. He, he basically was an outside linebacker last season. Uh, and, you know, not only Chin, but, but, but multiple coaches have made it clear that Chin will, will be more of a, of a, of, of a regular um, strong safety or, or safety in general. I also, they also mentioned something that was a little concerning to me. They mentioned that they're, you know, they want to, um, they want to lengthen his career. Uh, and when, when you hear that they want to lengthen your career, that usually means they're trying to get you away from the action so that you're not taking so many hits. That's what the Cowboys did to Sean Lee. They moved him out of the middle to lengthen his career, to take him away from the action a little bit. So um, obviously, Chin's value is not going to completely disappear. But, you know, if, if he ends up being more of a of, of a traditional uh, safety role, then he's not going to put up those monster LB type numbers that we see from that we saw from him last year. So I, I, I like him as a as more of a mid to back end DB one. I'm not taking him over someone like Buda Baker or some of these other other players like that. Or I mean, at this point, I, I think I would take um, Derwin James coming off an injury, uh, particularly with his his role there. Uh, he is the most important person in that Chargers defense. He's going to be wearing the green dot. He's going to be wearing. So he's going to be the signal caller. Uh, I would I would take Der, Derwin James over Jeremy Chin, even the um, over the amazing season he has. I think he's going to be good. I think he's probably going to be top ten, uh, but I I don't think he's going to be that just out of out of his mind baller that he was last season. 
Speaking of out of his mind, um, a lot of you are going to think I'm out of my mind when I tell you that Jamal Adams is my next target as overrated. Look, I, I, I watch, I, I do all the Seahawk home games. I love Jamal Adams. The problem I have with Adams is that, one, you're going to have to go after him very, very high and very, very early. And, yeah, he had nine and a half sacks last year as a, as a DB, which is unheard of for a DB. Now, he's solid inside the box, but he's really a liability when it comes to pass coverage. Last year, he allowed 77.8% completion rate when he was in pass coverage. He allowed uh, approximately 410 yards receiving, and he gave up multiple touchdowns via the air. Now, the, the biggest concern I have with him right now is is not just is he a liability in the pass coverage, but is he what, what's going on with that contract? We still don't know what what kind of uh, negotiation is going on between him and the team. We know they're working on it, and there's talk that it'll be done before the season begins. But this is a big concern, and if the contract negotiation isn't taken care of, it becomes a distraction. And we've seen what happened to Adams when he was with the Jets, and his contract negotiation became a distraction. That's the reason why I think Adams is going to do well for you. I think he's going to put up numbers. The problem is you're going to have to take him way too early in order to get him. One of my guys, and 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 I agree with that. I, you know, those, those sack numbers are so delicious when you see them, and I I still believe he's got that capability. If he if he plays, uh, you know, the majority of the games, he's still going to. I mean, he he always puts up almost double the number of of, of sacks than than any other defensive back. That's just one of his skill sets. But yeah, and they've got you know the Seahawks are working on a lot of different um, defensive packages where you know Marquise Blair is is more involved as kind of like the the Nick safety. Right now, Ryan Neal is playing over Jamal Adams, obviously because Adams is, is sitting out. Um, so the team has options that, you know, obviously I'm, I, they want Adams to play, but, you know, I don't think the team is in such a position where they've got to cave to his demands or they have to do whatever because he's, he, you know, he's a, he's so valuable as a blitzing defensive back. But because he's such a liability with some of the other issues, which is, I'm sure, you know, part of the contract negotiations is, is you know, he's a he's a hell of an impact player. But because he's not necessarily the, the complete safety that that you know maybe other safeties like you know I just mentioned like Derwin James, some of these other players who can blitz, who can tackle, and who can can cover. Um, really well uh i'm sure that that's the issue and it's not something that that's going to go away quickly so i agree with with that um every time i get to either of these next two players names um they pop up in a draft so far i always hesitate and there's something in the back of my mind that has me worried about this and it's the combination of keanu neal and donovan wilson for the cowboys both of these players, if, if only one of them was on the team, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't even hesitate. Uh, the, the issue is that right now their roles aren't crystal clear. Are they only going to use Neil um, in, in situations where he can come in and, and be a box safety? If so, does that mean he's off the field in between? And Wilson also is, is way better in the box than he is um, – uh, playing center field. And, uh, you know, um, Quinn brought over uh, free safety DeMonte Casey, uh, you know, who knows his scheme well. So there's something to be said for putting KZ back there as, as your safety valve, someone who knows the defense well, uh, understands the calls, and, and 
you know, isn't going to be, you know, more often than not, isn't going to be in the wrong place at the wrong time as your last line of defense. If so, how they split up their playing time with Neil and Wilson makes me a little bit worried that, um, both of them might not be on the field 100%. And when it comes to taking a safety who's ranked or valued that high, it, you know, I'm not overly concerned. I think both of them are going to have productive seasons. Uh, but I just can't help the feeling of, of always hesitating when their names come up uh, on the draft board when it's clear that I should take them there. I often don't just because I just I need more information. Hopefully we'll have this sorted by the, uh, by the by, uh, preseason week three. But for those of you who are drafting soon, it's just a little bit of a mess there. And I'm not even sure Quinn knows exactly how he's going to deploy all these people. So uh, it's just a little concerning because both of them – have a similar role, should be used similarly, um, and neither of them are going to excel in the free safety position, but somebody's got to play back there. So I'm curious to see how all this shakes out and how they use both Neil and Wilson, which means I'm not sure how they're going to use them, which means I'm a little bit scared to draft them as a DB1, uh, happy as a DB2, thrilled as a DB3, but they're they're going too high. for this. It's too rich for my blood. Yeah, and you also have to consider, too, that Wilson was – was benched last year, um, got the start, and then didn't do well. And they, they kind of played with him in and out of the lineup kind of deal. And then, like you said, they went out and they got Neil and they got Casey. And, and Quinn, it's just his system is going to be such that he's probably going to rely on people who know the system really well. So there's going to be a lot of interchanging going on there. Now, my third uh, defensive back overvalued is Xavier Howard. Now, Howard has been the talk of the offseason among DBs with his request for a trade. Now, you have to be careful not to get caught up in the hype as his numbers are very deceiving. Yeah, he, he can be a big play su- uh, supplier, as evidenced in his 10 INTs and 20 PDs last year. Yet, he only had 12 INTs in the four seasons combined prior to last year. So, he had almost as many over four years as he did last year. Now, his 46 tackles last year were his highest single season total in five seasons, but we're not sure if he's going to get traded. And if he doesn't get traded, then this could be a really long, ugly year for this cornerback, especially with the fact that he's a shutdown cornerback. My uh, last over overrated uh, uh, defensive back is, is a safety, and that's Cameron Curl. And this is kind of a a, a mirror of what I was just referring to when it comes to how they're going to deploy all these safeties. Um, Landon Collins, I was unsure how he was going to look coming back uh, from, from his injury, but all reports so far is that Landon Collins looks great and looks to be the the, the player that, that he was pre-injury. Uh, if that's the case and L- Collins is on the field all the time, Bobby McCain is is a good bet to end up as their free safety. He's a natural free safety. He's older, of course, um, but he he did play well for for Miami last year, uh, and he is a good fit back there. Um, similar to what we were talking about with 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 uh, the Cowboys, do they use Curl uh, as the free safety? They're not going to use Collins as as the, as the deep man. So. You know, do they trust Curl back there? If they don't trust Curl back there, they've got Bobby McCain or possibly DeShazer Everett. It just worries me that Curl might not have – well, Curl won't have the season he had last year once he finally earned that role. I think they like the kid a lot. 
But uh, with Landon Collins back, that certainly trims your expectations. Even if Curl's on the field a bunch, now Collins is really going to be in that lead safety role. And like I said, depending on how things go, if if Curl doesn't adapt to that deep role, he might come off the field um, when when they they need a, a, a you know someone to really lock down that that deep end. And they've got a couple of veteran options there. Uh, you know, we see it a lot where we will see a, a veteran play deep because as I was just saying, they they can see the whole field. They know the calls well. They're, they're, they're more often than not not going to be fooled by reading the quarterback's eyes or, 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 or shifting over to the wrong side of the field. And then there's no help on, on the side of the field where the ball is going. So that last line of defense is something that, that defensive coordinators don't like to toy with. Um, that just got me a little bit worried that I'm not exactly sure how Curl's going to fit here. Again, just like with Cowboys and some of these other roles, Hopefully a lot of this is going to get answered well before the season starts, but for those of you who have to draft early, these are just some players that we're looking at that were a little bit hesitant, either because in the case of like Xavier Howard and, and um, you know Devin White and whatnot, they're either outlier production um, from 2020 that we don't think is possible for them uh, to necessarily repeat. Um, or uh, their roles are not clear now that training camp has started. We're seeing defensive coordinators get out there and move players around. Uh, if if we, you know, it's like musical chairs in the secondary. You don't want the music to stop, and you're the one guy who's not yeah. on the field for when the, you know. Uh, you know, Curl, I'm sure, is going to be out there for dime packages, but how much are they going to play dime? We don't know yet. So he might be he might be uh, sixty or seventy percent uh, player, and that's a little scary when it comes to defensive backs. Shall we move on uh, to the underrated? Yeah, I mean, if if, if everyone hasn't um, uh, pulled their car over and, and started <laughs> weeping over all this terrible news we're delivering, you guys we're screaming at us, going, "What are you thinking?" Right now, the now the fun part happens. These are our underrated and uh, undervalued players. Uh, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to hit three apiece. Let's start with the defensive lineman. Well, you mentioned his name earlier, and, and that's Indianapolis Colts, uh, Colts defensive tackle DeForest Buckner. Um, in his first year with the Colts, he saw his tackle totals uh, dip, and they were the lowest in his five-year career. Still, he nearly recorded double-digit sacks for the second time in his career. He had nine and a half sacks last year. Now. Buckner has 29 total sacks in his last three years combined. And the addition of, of Quiddy Pay may, uh, should help alleviate some of the double teams and triple teams that Buckner sees. So I could see Buckner achieving similar, if not better, numbers than he uh, this year than he did in 2020. My guy is going to be Kyler Fackrell. Uh, he's playing opposite Joey Bosa. Uh, so far, Fackrell is in the lead um, to, to take most of those snaps opposite Joey Bosa there for the Chargers. Uh, Uchenna Unwasu is going to work in, uh, and he might eventually win that role, but as of right now, Fackrell is in the lead. So Fackrell is buried in ADP. I mean, he's, he's practically free. Um, and if you're the edge rusher, on the opposite side of someone like Joey Bosa, you know we've we've made a fortune picking players who um, are opposite of a phenomenal pass rusher who just they can just basically walk up to the quarterback because nobody cares that they're there. They're too worried about players like Joey Bosa, and also because Linval Joseph had a bounce back season last year for the Chargers. Um, when you have uh, Joseph and jo- Justin Jones playing at a high level in the middle, um, and you've got Bosa on the other side, that's the sort of thing where out of nowhere, 
Kyler Fackrell has one of these um, seasons, uh, you know, and it happens every year. There's some edge rusher that's like ends up with eight and a half sacks who, who, who's never played like that before. And it's often because of how the defensive scheme is set up or they, nobody's paying them enough attention. To me this year, uh, Kyler Fackrell has a good shot for that. So he's a late round uh, dart throw for you, particularly in leagues where you can play edge and uh, in, in big play leagues. Yeah, speaking of late-round dart throws, uh, Romeo Okora is, is somebody that um, I, I would target later in drafts. Uh, he posted double-digit sacks last year with 10, uh, and it was the first time in his, his five-year career that he had double-digit sacks. Now, he stands out. Uh, what really stands out about this is he, only, he did this when he started only just nine of his 16 games. Now, he finished the season last year with a sack in four of his last five games. So he proved that he belonged out on the field. He set career highs in total tackles with 39, and he had, uh, uh, I believe it was a career high in solos with 27. So that was in 2020. They're expecting those type of things from him in 2021. One of my guys uh, I'm really excited about this year is uh, Miami defensive tackle Christian Wilkins. Uh, he's you know, they they had a, a kind of a heavy rotation up the middle. Uh, Brian Flores is somebody who um, I'd mentioned on a as a guest on a podcast the other night. Brian Flores has been one of the few uh, defensive coordinators to come out of the Bill Belichick coaching tree to actually, you know, pull off his own version of that Belichick defense that he's been running lately. Um, and that kind of defense features a lot of heavy run stopping up front. And so just like with players like Lawrence Guy for um, uh, for for the Patriots, you'll get these kind of, uh, you know, run stuffers up the middle who won't get you a lot in sacks, but will certainly load up on tackles. And I think Wilkins has a really good shot to do that this year. Keep in mind that Devon Godshaw is gone now. So there was this kind of inner rotation of Wilkins, Godshaw, and um, uh, what am I blanking on it? Uh, Raquan Davis kind of up the middle. I think this year Wilkins is going to see more snaps. He's going to, he only started 12 games last year. I think he's going to, uh, I think he's in position to start every game this year. Uh, so that's going to help him uh, get, get to the ball more. La uh, two seasons ago, he had 56 tackles starting four. 14 games. Uh, last year, he had 47 tackles starting 12 games. So I can see him hitting easily that that 50 plus uh, tackle mark. Now again, this is tackle you know tackle based. So think tackle heavy. Think DT required. Um, he's he, you know over the last two seasons he has three and a half sacks total. So that's not going to be his strength. But what will be his strength is in tackle leagues, tackle heavy leagues where you can load up on that scoring. Um, I think that's going to be uh, somebody I'm looking for. And again, he's going to see more snaps uh, with God, with Godshaw gone, who I believe went to New, uh, New England. The, what's funny is. Flores and, and Brian and, and Belichick keep swapping players because they think that these players are, 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 are great fits and they basically play the exact same style defense. So it's not the first time that's going to happen. It probably won't be the last. My last uh, defensive lineman for underrated is going to be Stefan Tuit from Pittsburgh. In uh, 2020, Tuit had his highest solo uh, um, output with 31 and he had his second highest assists in his five-year career with 12. Now, last year, he, he recorded double-digit sacks for the first time in his seven-year career when he posted 11 of them. 
Now, the addition of Melvin Ingram will will help to it um, because Ingram will, will most likely man the strong side linebacker position and could bounce back and forth with T.J. Watt on the outside, moving them around in order to apply pressure. By doing that, it's going to help Cameron Hayward and Stefan Tuitt on the edges um, where they won't be facing as many double teams as they did last year. Now, Tuitt took 75% of the Steelers' defensive snaps in 2020, and I could see him approaching that type of number in 2021. My last uh, underrated defensive lineman is also a defensive tackle, and that's Quinnen Williams. Now, Quinnen Williams might seem like an odd one to have on here because he had a breakout season last year, posted seven sacks in, in 13 games, but I believe he's just scratching the surface. I believe he's going to have an even better year this year uh, for, for a couple of reasons. Um, right now, uh, he's working in the position with um, – Robert Sala, so he's, he's got a new defensive coordinator who has gotten a ton of fabulous production out of his defensive line. So I, I think he's got a great defensive coordinator slash head coach. Uh, he's going to basically be playing a role similar to what DeForest Buckner did when Buckner was such a dominant defensive tackle for San Francisco while he was with Sala. Um, hopefully he stays healthy. I know he's, he's banged up right now, but uh, he's expecting uh, to be able to to be ready for, for week one. So I don't see that being an issue. But obviously that's something to watch. We have to make sure he's going to be healthy for week one. But uh, he only played 13 games last year due to injury. Um, he's just now kind of coming into his own. Remember, he was a he was a third overall pick a couple of years ago. So I, I think this retooled defense, um, the, the type of defensive coordinator uh, who can really scheme things up and use Williams's strengths to his advantage, I think we're just now seeing Williams come up. So this will probably be your last year to buy fairly low on Williams, who could easily be DT, you know, in the DT one category, top five defensive tackle at the end of the year. Uh, you'd want to get him now. Um, uh, I love picking up as many shares of Quinn Williams and dynasty as I can also happy to roll him out as my DT one. Uh, he's going much later than some of the other big name DTs and, and could easily produce as much, if not more of some of those bigger names. So let's move on to linebackers. Um, somebody that is quickly getting on people's radars and well I, I shouldn't say getting on them he should be there already is uh zach cunningham from houston he's become the general in the middle of this defense for the texans uh so much so that they let bernardrick uh, mckinney go uh his total tackles uh, have gone up in each of his four seasons in the nfl he started in his rookie year with eight, 84 total tackles went to 101 um, two years ago, he went to 128, and last year he had an unbelievable 151 total tackles. This guy is a tackling machine, and you might get five to seven big plays out of him in any given season, but not much more than that. So I wouldn't expect big big plays from him, but you're going to get tackles and a lot of them. Now, the offense for the Texans could struggle, especially if if Deshaun Watson is in um, doesn't play for them and they are – questionable at who they have at quarterback they don't have a a really strong offense so this could mean more snaps for Cunningham on the defense and with a thin defensive line up front it could lead to to I wouldn't say more but pretty close to the 150 total tackles he had last year 
My uh, my number one underrated linebackers seems to be a forgotten man, um, mainly because he was injured for the majority of the season last year, and that's Matt Milano out, out of Buffalo. Uh, he, he dealt with multiple injuries last year and just never uh, could consistently stay out there and play t- to his full strengths. Um, he's normally a, a, a triple-digit tackle guy, and he's somebody that, 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 that particularly – uh, Tremaine Edmonds needs next to him because uh, Edmonds has a few deficiencies of his own, and Matt Milano is, is to me, a, a, he's perennially underrated. Uh, you know, last year he only started five games, but still had forty-five tackles. Uh, you know, the year before that, when he played fifteen games, he had a, he had one hundred and one tackles. Not going to get you a ton of sacks, um, but he but he does. Um, He's an. I think he's underrated in coverage. So you'll also get some passes defense. He had nine passes defensed in 2019, seven passes defensed in 2018. So this is a a comeback player that that I I see. You know, uh, I've seen even seen him go undrafted in some shallow IDP leagues this year. So I'm all in on on Matt Milano as you know. Particularly if I can if I can scoop him up later as like an LB three. I think he's got uh, tons of um, LB two upside. Yeah, so my my next linebacker is going to be somebody who's kind of obvious, but um, it's Blake Martinez, and I, I, I'm putting him here not because he's people are going what Blake Martinez. It's basically because you're going to have to pay for him, but you are going to get what you pay for. Um, you're going to have to draft him higher than than most, you know, for a linebacker one. And the reason being is that. Martinez has been very consistent. He's posted 131 total tackles uh, in four straight seasons, or rather I should say over 131 total tackles in four straight seasons. He did have double-digit big plays in his first year with the Giants, um, 40 in his last four years combined. So Martinez took over 97% of the defensive snaps, uh, accounting for uh, 1,063 snaps for the Giants last year. If there's a knock on him, he's had too many assists compared to solos in 2020, where he had 75 solos and 65 assists. But still, you're, you're looking at you know 140 total tackles, and, and this guy is going to give you the numbers and can be a big play producer. So he can be productive in both he, uh, heavy tackle scoring leagues and also big play scoring leagues. My second underrated linebacker is Willie Gay Jr. for for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's my uh, foyer Aluakon from this year. Last year, I tried to get everyone to get some foyer Aluakon shares because he had kind of stepped into a bigger role and the coaches and everybody was raving about him and, and he ended up having a solid season. You know, we're always a little worried about how um, the Chiefs deploy their linebackers because they they have them on a pretty uh, heavy rotation. You know, it's been very frustrating over the last couple of years to try and get find a, 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 a linebacker who's going to be on the field for three downs. But they drafted Gay two years ago, um, and they uh, off drafted Nick Bolton this year. They used high picks on both of these because I believe they're trying to get some more athletic um, linebackers out on the field. They've been using a combination of Anthony Hitchens and Ben Neiman and Dorian O'Daniel and um, uh, Damian Wilson, who's now on the Jaguars. 
and I think they're hoping that Gay, um, who of course had a, a stunted rookie season last year, every rookie, uh, you know, had a stunted season last year. <laughs> so I don't think they, I don't think they, you know, put much on on Gay's plate last year. But so far, the talk is that they 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 want him to wear the green dot. They want him to have a three down roll. Whether or not he can fully earn that by the time se- the season starts is a little up in the air. But even if he doesn't play every down. He, you know, he's going late in drafts, and and I I love him as just for all the upside. I mean, imagine going getting late, uh, getting a late pick, and then then being a top ten linebacker, which is possible if the Chiefs keep him on the field for three downs, and if they don't keep him on the field for three downs, he can still do at least as good as someone like Anthony Hitchens uh, or Damian Wilson did last year, uh, but most likely better because he's got, you know, they just love how fast he is and how versatile he is, which is, which is the way they want their defense to go. Finally for me, it's going to be Jordan Brooks on Seattle. Now, this one I, I teetered on because of the fact that what really is going to – there are two factors here for, for Brooks. Um, the first factor is is likely he starts camp at strong side linebacker, but I think he should win the weak side linebacker sooner than later and, and most likely have it secured by uh, week three of the preseason. Now, as long as K.J. Wright doesn't resign, and there's a possibility that that could happen because the Seahawks have not closed the door on Wright returning to Seattle under the Wright contract um, case. But Brooks could post uh, you know, close to 100, if not more, total tackles if he plays weak side linebacker without K.J. Wright on the team. Now, he has a season under his belt in this system, and he has the top-end speed that they desire for that position. Now, he was ranked seventh on the team in tackles last year and only started six of 14 games played, and and that was with Wright on the team. So he has the potential, and he started five of his his last six games in his rookie season, and he posted 20 solos, 12 assists, and a PD. So he has the ability, he has the potential. A full 16, excuse me, full 17 games measures out to about 68 solos and 40 or so assists. That's close to 110 total tackles. Brooks could have a solid season and be a sleeper. Yeah, I, I like Brooks a lot this year. Um, you know, we've we've seen uh, KJ Wright be um, criminally underrated every season, just just playing in Bobby Wagner's sh- shadow. And I think he'll. I think uh, Brooks has all of that capability as well in terms of just um, you know soaking up tackle production there. Particularly if things, you know, he also we mentioned before about Jamal Adams. If things go south with Jamal Adams, uh, Brooks will probably even have less tackle competition there. Uh, and I think they want him to kind of be the future. For, for their for that team and now's the chance to get him before um uh before he's overpriced and again here's another you know issue with uh you know um players who had uh you know issues with covid uh, protocols last year not having a, a training camp not having preseason brooks was also heavily impacted that by that and now he's got um He's got all that going for him this year. He's going to have a full regular preseason, and obviously there's a lot of draft capital. When the Seahawks, who rarely take a player in the first round, decided to go ahead and grab Brooks. Um, my my last uh, underrated linebacker, I've gotten this guy as an LB3 in almost every deep IDP draft I've done so far, and I'm, just, I'm always incredibly giddy about it. And I don't know why everyone forgets this 
guy plays football, but that's Alexander Johnson for the for the Broncos. Last year he had 124 tackles. Um, I'll take 124 tackles out of my LB three. Uh, he's he's getting drafted way too late in my opinion. Um, he's he's absolutely their anchor there in that defense. He's he's got a, a clearly defined role. Uh, they're going to want him there again this year. Like whatever's going on in their li- with their with you know uh, with their linebackers, it's it's mainly going to affect Josie Jewell, not uh, Alexander Johnson. So uh, I just love that he's you know a. He's he's basically as long as he stays healthy, he's he's going to produce those numbers. You know, he had he played in um, he started twelve games uh, in two thousand nineteen and got all the way up to ninety three tackles. So I mean, he's going to I think he's going to easily eclipse triple digit tackles. And he, you know, we talked about uh, uh, Devin White, right? His his phenomenal season, and it was a phenomenal season. He had one hundred and forty tackles. Uh, you know. Alexander Johnson was just 16 shy of that. He just didn't have nine sacks like um, like uh, Devin White. So if Devin White can't repeat those sacks, Alexander Johnson and Devin White could be a lot closer in scoring this year than people might realize. And I can get Johnson five to eight rounds later. So I'm all about uh, picking him up as a, as a later round. Uh, you want to move on to our defensive backs? Yeah, why not? Um, the first one is kind of an obvious in Jordan Poyer. Um Still, he, you know, even though he's been putting up top five DB type numbers, he continues to fly under fantasy radars as many owners don't really see him as a top five DB. Poyer set career highs in total tackles last year with 111, and he had 78 solos. That was also a career high. He posted double-digit big plays for the fourth straight year in 2020. Now, if there is a concern, it has to be the the 30-year-old entering his 10th season. But still, I mean, he's playing at the top end of his career. He's still producing and is somebody you can rely heavily on as a DB1. Mine is going to be Jordan uh, speaking of Jordan, uh, it's the All Jordan Hour, apparently. Um, you know, and just real quick about Jordan Poyer. In, in some scoring systems, Jordan Poyer was the number one safety last year. Um, but but yeah, he's. I don't know why he's not talked about in that way. And there's, there's another guy who I think is similar to that, uh, who I, I I can see here uh, that you've got coming up. So I'm going to let you have him. But I I'm in total agreement with Poyer and uh, your last guy, which you'll get to. Um, Jordan Fuller is mine. Uh, is my first one for the Rams. First of all, John Johnson's gone, so you've got uh, some production opened up there. Also, Fuller is wearing the green dot, which means no matter what the LB rotation is in front of him, Fuller's going to be on the field for every snap uh, as it's currently set up. Uh, they've got Taylor Rapp, and they're going to also work in uh, Terrell Burgess as a third safety in big dime situations. But the fact that um, Fuller is going to have, uh, you know, no John Johnson to contend with. And he's going to be a, you know, the clear three down option. There's going to be on the field the whole time. Uh, I'm excited to watch him in his second season. They thought he was an absolute steal in the draft when they got him. And when he finally saw the field last year, he only played in 12 games. Um, he played well. Um, he had five passes defense. He had 60 tackles, uh, in just 12 games. So I like Jordan Fuller again, is somebody I think you can get rather late in drafts as a solid DB too. My next DB is going to be Marlon Humphrey. Um, he set career highs in total tackles with 80 and solos with 68 and tied a career high in assists with 12 last year. Now he has 11 or more PDs in all four of his NFL seasons. 
this guy is on the field quite a bit. He uh, takes a lot of snaps. He averages two INTs per season. He has to eight total in his four-year career. He ranked third on the team in total tackles last year, but he led the team in solo tackles. So Humphrey is a, is quietly being ignored by people because he's a cornerback. But this is a guy who can produce tackle numbers and give you big plays. There are very few cornerbacks who can, can who will consistently show up in the top 25 of scoring for DBs. Cornerbacks are forever bouncing in and out of that. Marlon Humphrey is one of those cornerbacks who almost every year ends up there. Uh, and you're right. He, he, go, he goes, uh, you know, we're always preaching how volatile cornerback production is, and it is. But there are exceptions, and Marlon Humphrey seems to be somebody who, who continually bucks that trend. And obviously the Ravens love what he's doing. He's, he's probably going to play a, a very similar role this year. Uh, so um, it's reasonable to expect similar production, uh, and uh, you certainly can get it. Um, obviously, I love him as a CB1. I'm also happy to take him uh, just in, just in um, DB general leagues as well. My number two guy is going to be Justin Reed. Justin Reed had a, a pretty poor season last year. They, you know, they stuck him very deep, uh, and uh, he struggled with uh, what was what was a, a, a fairly complicated system for him last year. Um, now, now that Lovey Smith has taken over for the Texans, uh, he has installed a, a much much simpler defense. Uh, a lot of the players keep using that phrase that they don't have to think as much; they can just kind of uh, you know uh, read and react. Uh, and one of the players that's going to benefit the most, I think, is going to be Justin Reed. Uh, he did he seems to do better when he can just you know I always call it waterboying it. You know, just whoever you know, kill the guy with the ball. I, I think I think Reed is 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 a little bit you know, better set up for that. There's some other players like that too, like, you know, uh, hopefully Tracy Walker in Detroit can have a bounce back season uh, without his, without it so much on his plate. But I, I think Reed is one of those players who, who can absolutely bounce back uh, now that he won't have so much on his plate and won't be as hesitant as he clearly was last year. Yeah. And, and you mentioned Tracy Walker it, it, with Detroit changing their coaching staff and last year, they played with those safeties in and out, in and out. There was three of them, and they just mixed them, and, and you could never rely on any of them. That's changed in 2021. So uh, my third and final DB is Justin Simmons. Simmons uh, on the Broncos signed a four-year, $61 million deal with 35 mil guaranteed. He tied a career high in total tackles last year with 94 and set a career high in solos with 75. He achieved double-digit big plays for the second straight season, so he's a tackle-heavy and a big play-scoring-heavy kind of guy. He can give you both. Now, the additions of Kyle Fuller and Ron, Ronald Darby at cornerback could help him play more in the box, and that leads to solid tackle numbers. Look, Denver loves this guy, and they love him so much they signed him to a monster contract for four years. And I think they're also considering using um, Darby some as as a as, as a safety as as a third safety, uh, which also helps Simmons move up. And, you know, I could certainly see plenty of packages where um, the box is filled with uh, Alexander Johnson and Justin Simmons, while Kareem Jackson and Ronald Darby uh, um, are, are the are the are the deeper safeties. Uh, 
and that would happen if Patrick Sertan can move in to that Sertan can move into that uh, other role. So there'd be there'd be options there where it's Fuller and Sertan on the outside, Bryce Callahan as the slot corner, Darby as one of the uh, one of the three safeties, and Simmons in the box. Um, so already, you know, even even if he just repeated what he did last year, I still think he's underrated. But there's a good chance that that his production could go up. Indeed. I'm going to round us. I'm going to round us off with. Um, with Daniel Sorensen, uh, he it's like a, it's like every single year we think that Sorensen can't repeat what he did the year before because they got some new players or you know it was it was just you know um, weird happenstance that that Sorensen you know was on the field as much as he was. He's been underrated from from the jump, in my opinion, uh, um, and uh, I, I I would you know when I do my like. Uh, um, uh, stock watcher or waiver wire ads. The number of times I'd I'd have to be recommending Daniel Sorensen because he's you know lighting up scoreboards on on, on people's waiver wires across the board. Um, I got tired of writing. I also just started copying and pasting it. So um, you know, last year he had ninety one tackles uh, and he only you know he you know. Whether or not he "quote unquote" starts doesn't matter as much. Don't look at the fact that he might not be a "quote unquote" starter because you know in today's NFL defenses, there's not you know it's not the sort of situation where it's like okay, well if if you make the starting lineup, you're going to go out there and play eighty percent of the snaps. It's okay. What is the first you know what's the first offensive personnel grouping? All right, well we have a defense for that, and we're going to send them out. So now they've started the game. So uh, Sorensen is on the field a ton uh, for, for, you know, for somebody who only quote unquote started 11 games last year, he played 82% of the snaps, played almost 900 snaps. So had 91 tackles out of your, out of your uh, DB position. I'll take that Had a couple of forced fumbles. Uh, also had three interceptions. Uh, second time in his career, he's had at least three interceptions. Uh, as it's looking now, uh, it, it is looking like they're planning on continuing to use Sorensen in the box. Um, and, uh, as of now, it's been uh, Sorensen and Matthew running with the ones where they're where. As of now, Thornhill would be the third safety that comes on the field. When there's only two safeties, it might be Sorensen and Matthew. If that holds, Sorensen is going to have at least as many snaps uh, this year, if not more, and um, you know he, he could easily push for those hundred tackles. So uh, I'm all about uh, Daniel Sorensen late in the draft. All right, there was some sunshine after all that rain early on there. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed it. Again, this is you know these are just kind of season predictions. A lot of this stuff is is going to change as we get more information coming in uh, from training camps and um, and preseason games. Keeping in mind that going forward, now Thomas and I are going to pop on once a week. Now each week we're going to update you on training camp battles. Beat writer reports, uh, what we see from preseason film, uh, and try to get everyone set up for a lot of these linebackers and defensive backs. Where are they going to play? How often are they going to be on the field? Um, uh, and make sure to check out for that uh, that defensive flyer flyover uh, PDF that should be coming out here pretty soon for FantasyPoints.com, which is going to give you a pretty clear view if you have to decide between some linebackers or defensive linemen uh, how often they might play. Um, that's something to kind of keep out as you prep for your drafts. Uh, for Thomas Simons, my name is Justin Varnes. We are the IDP analyst for the Fantasy Points 
dot com website uh, run by uh, John Hansen and I mean so many great uh, brilliant minds over there. We're, we're we're honored to be a part of that unit and to lock down the IDP section. Uh, and we will see you guys next week. Thomas, take us out. Be well and be safe. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com. Fantasy Points.